They bribed your doctor to get you to take the jab. These and other stories the media won't tell you are on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and the Deep State and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 372 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Monday, April 17th, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. On August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States, is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to, subscri- to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And a big thank you to all of our patrons. We really appreciate you. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland, which drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Now, there's a congressman out of Kentucky named Thomas Massey who has really performed a serious public service out there on Twitter the evening of April 13th he put out a screenshot of an official paper from Anthem Medicaid, Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield Medicaid. And he said, your primary care provider was bribed to suggest you should take the COVID vaccine. And here's what this screenshot says. And clearly it is addressed to primary care physicians. It says COVID-19 vaccine provider incentive program. Getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is one of the best and safest ways people can protect themselves and their families against the virus. Of course, we know now that is a bald-faced lie, but I guarantee you they haven't retracted it. But I digress. It says, as a participating practice in the COVID-19 Provider Vaccine Incentive Program, we recognize your hard work by offering incentives for helping patients make the choice to become vaccinated. Eligibility. The COVID-19 Vaccine Provider Incentive Program is open to you if you are a participating Kentucky primary care provider with an Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield Medicaid Anthem panel size of 25 or more members. Now, you better believe this was not just Kentucky. But Congressman Massey has access to this because he represents 
a district in Kentucky. Just just for clarification's purpose here. It continues, all Anthem members identified as receiving COVID-19 vaccination services are included in the methodology. Vaccine results will be determined by a COVID-19 vaccine claim or by confirmation from the Kentucky Vaccine Registry. The results will be calculated for two time periods, September 1, 2021, initial incentive payment, December 31, 2021, final incentive payment. Did you ever wonder why your doctor was so insistent that you need to get the COVID vaccine? Because I know people who got vaccinated because their doctors told them, look, you need this. And they have incredible regret at this point. Incredible regret. But I digress. Here's some more. How you can qualify for a bonus. If your practice meets the below thresholds for vaccination with at least one dose by September 1, 2021, you will receive the initial incentive payment based on the following rates. 30% Anthem members vaccinated, $20 bonus per vaccinated member. 40% Anthem members vaccinated, $45 bonus per vaccinated member. 50% Anthem members vaccinated, $70 bonus per vaccinated member. 60% Anthem members vaccinated, $100 bonus per vaccinated member. 75% Anthem members vaccinated, $125 bonus per vaccinated member. You know, that, that adds up after a while. You know, I wonder if the company that fired me, Cumulus Media, the company that insisted that everybody get vaccinated, I wonder if they were bribed by the insurance company that we had at the time. Anyway, it says the final incentive payment is calculated based on members who are newly vaccinated between September 1st, 2021 and December 31st, 2021. See the appendix for calculation examples. If your practice meets the below thresholds for vaccination with at least one dose by December 1, 2021, you will receive the final incentive payment based on the following rates. 30% Anthem members vaccinated, $100 bonus per newly vaccinated member. 40% Anthem members vaccinated, $150 bonus per newly vaccinated member. 50% Anthem members vaccinated, $175 bonus per newly vaccinated member. 60% Anthem members vaccinated, $200 bonus per newly vaccinated member. And 75% Anthem members vaccinated, $250 bonus per newly vaccinated member. And down at the bottom, it has their uh, their icons and HTTPS colon two four slashes providers dot anthem dot com slash KY for Kentucky. You know they did this in every state. You know they did. 
So, just in case you're wondering why your primary care physician insisted, look, you got to get vaccinated. That's why. Oh, that is so why. So, some folks were kind of kind of upset with Massey. One guy said, as much as I want to agree with this, I just can't make that leap. I don't see how incentivizing perceived risk mitigation equals bribery. And Massey said, ethically, shouldn't doctors disclose when they are profiting by recommending a drug or treatment, especially a drug or treatment for which there is no medical malpractice liability? Yeah, they should. Another guy said, I get paid a commission on successes within my company, too. One could say, I get bribed as well. Congressman Massey responded, for this analogy to apply, the doctors would have to be working for the vaccine companies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No question about it. So, Congressman Massey retweets a tweet from Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who said the biomedical security state that delivered the failed pandemic response, the lockdowns, the induced panic, the censorship of science, is firmly in place now. It is now the standard pandemic response and will repeat itself in the next pandemic unless it is firmly rejected. And Congressman Massey said, we got a glimpse of how far they will go, what measures they will take, and the lies they will tell. Any elected politician who doesn't understand what happened during COVID is not fit to continue serving. Yeah. Now, I came across another tweet about Fauci. And why he was so insistent on covering up the origin of COVID. Why he was so insistent. Okay, again, Dr. Bhattacharya, Jay Bhattacharya, and I, I hope I'm saying his name right, professor, Stanford School of Medicine, MD, PhD, Health Policy, Infectious Diseases, COVID, Health Economics, Scientific Freedom, He said, one persistent COVID fallacy 
was that we could have stopped it from spreading if only we took it more seriously. The sad reality is that the world never had a technology capable of such a feat. Not even draconian lockdown suffices. And somebody responded, true, but understanding COVID a few months earlier would have helped. A Bitcoin trader with almost a million followers on Twitter who goes by Balaji warned us by tweets January 30th, 2020, that COVID was going to spread like wildfire in the U.S. and to prepare for draconian government measures. March 15, 2020 was too late. Dr. Bhattacharya answers, how would it have helped? It had already spread to northern Italy and to Angola by fall of 2019, according to antibody evidence from stored blood. What technology do we have to stop it then? And the guy says, agree, we can't stop spread, but media mocked COVID conspiracy theorists as racist for months as COVID was spreading in the U.S. Knowing early on that COVID will come to the U.S. means you and Martin could advise focused protection lockdown and we take it seriously for vulnerable. Yeah, lockdowns don't work. Anyway, Hans Monkey. The EpicTimes.com says, This is why Fauci's origin cover-up isn't merely about Fauci trying to wash his hands of responsibility for the pandemic. Because he hid the fact that the virus was pre-adapted for human transmission. Fauci misled the world into thinking the virus could be contained. It could not be contained. And allow me to add, it could not be contained because of the gain-of-function research which helped to create the virus. And Fauci knew it. So he ruined millions of children's lives anyway. And in my humble opinion, he's a mass murderer who belongs under the prison. We're just getting started on stories today that the media doesn't want you to know about. There is so much more. For instance, former Director of National Intelligence, Cash Patel, who's been on my show a couple of times, RedState.com says he confirms that Jack Teixeira would not have had access to the documents that the feds say he leaked. Have you been looking at the story of the Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira being arrested by the FBI and going, wait, this doesn't smell right. Restate.com, Jennifer Van Lahr says, Despite working in information technology within an intelligence wing of the Air Force, Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira would not have legally had access to the classified information he's accused of leaking on a Discord server, according to former DNI Cash Patel. 
He said that the day after the arrest. Patel's assessment echoes what was written at Red State on the day of the arrest, which would have been Thursday the 13th. Over at Breitbart, Patel also described several methods by which Teixeira could have gained access to the information. Patel said first the suspected leaker, Jack Teixeira, would not have had access to the information without someone within the DOD or the intelligence community giving it to him, providing it to him, or telling him it should be out there. He said it's just not possible unless somebody told him this should be put out there. He says you can be the biggest IT person in DOD and you're still compartmented off of the actual information. Almost never does an I person does an IT person need to know, as we say, the substance of the intelligence. Their job is to provide the secure information systems around it to protect any disclosures. Surprisingly, ABC News also published a story on Saturday citing defense officials who agreed that Teixeira's job description does not equal need to know. Defense officials told ABC News that having a top-secret security clearance is typical for Air Force personnel who, in order to provide IT support, might need access to classified spaces, computers, and networks so they could do their jobs. But the fact that you have a clearance does not mean you have access to everything at that level. That access is based on your need to know the information for your job. Some have argued that since Teixeira worked on the computer systems within a SCIF, a secure compartmented um, intel facility, that he would have had access to these documents and that perhaps the intelligence wing he supported Possess work product of the CIA and the presidential daily brief. Cash Patel says, no way. He said, this is crazy sensitive stuff. 99% of people who have a top secret SCI clearance don't have access to this information. And me, as a former deputy DNI and chief of staff of the DOD and publisher of the presidential daily brief with the highest security classification I know that, literally. There, is not, there are not a lot of people in the U.S. that have access to the, this kind of intel. It's done for a reason. So this doesn't happen. Patel continued, the amount of information or the amount of intelligence they got, somebody's giving them that type of documentation. It's just not readily available. And he said about the reporting, where did they get that from? That doesn't come from anyone who doesn't have direct access at the end in the United States. As Patel said, in addition to the classification level and the need-to-know basis, there's also the compartmentalization of information. While siloing of information within a corporate structure is a bad thing, within military intelligence, it is vital. Red State says on Thursday... We suggest the possibility that Teixeira did not act alone. Here's the quote. A possibility that needs to be considered is that Teixeira was given many of the documents by someone who did have access to them and who wanted them to be leaked. Now, according to Patel, that possibility has a very high probability of being true based on the methodical way in which the leaks occurred. Again, Cash Patel over Breitbart says, whether he's an IT or not is irrelevant. The way it was produced 
The way it was put out there, pages, printed photographs taken, published online, that is a methodical way of releasing classified information illegally. I think he's definitely working with other people in DOD or the intel space to get this information out. This is an Assange-style operation. This kid, no offense to him, at 21 years old, cannot put out this five months unlawful disclosure of sensitive intelligence. Now, ABC News highlighted certain portions of the government's complaint against Teixeira that are problematic, given claims that Teixeira did this for months with nobody noticing. Red State reported Thursday several stories about Teixeira were stealth-edited on Wednesday and Thursday. One of those stories from NBC News originally said that officials had been tracking Teixeira for some time. Then it was changed to say that they were on to him. Then that paragraph was deleted in its entirety. But the criminal complaint details what was found on logging systems regarding Teixeira accessing various documents or searching for them. The criminal complaint provides a description of how investigators used information from an unnamed U.S. government agency that has access to logs of certain documents to track how Teixeira allegedly used his clearance in February to look for a specific document that he later posted on a small Discord channel the following day. Another logging system from another U.S. government agency that can monitor certain searches conducted on its classified networks, indicated that Teixeira may have been concerned about the initial news reports that classified intelligence documents had begun to to appear on Twitter and Telegram. On April 6th, Teixeira used his government computer to search classified intelligence reporting for the word leak, according to the complaint. It added the first public reporting regarding the government information appeared on or around April 6, 2023. Accordingly, there is reason to believe that Teixeira was searching for classified reporting regarding the U.S. intelligence community's assessment of the identity of the individual who transmitted classified national defense information to include the government document. Jennifer Van Lahr, Red State, concludes, It will be interesting to see what is found on print logs and security video and file transfer logs There's still major questions to be answered about how this happened, who was involved, and what their motives are. The fact that ABC News is, maybe unintentionally, casting doubt on the narrative that Teixeira was a disgruntled, gun-loving, traitorous racist who acted alone is significant and raises additional questions about who's driving what narrative with various news organizations. Ain't that the truth? Now, do you have any idea who testified before the U.S. House Oversight Committee the same day Donald Trump was indicted and went to a courtroom in New York City? Yeah, I didn't think so. Oh, my goodness. What a big story that the media is ignoring. And that is coming up next. Look, if you tried to buy a car recently, You realize you may have had a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to.
You can buy a line and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online, and if you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental USA, redriverauto.com. You will be glad you did. Now, I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever five or six weeks every spring all my life. I had terrible migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, the migraines went away, and they've never come back again. If you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. Click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. As you probably know by now, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. And he's done it again. Introducing MyPillow 2.0. It's got a brand new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. MyPillow 2.0's new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for more restful night's sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 is developed to provide a cool surface. It's engineered for comfort. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and there's a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. As a special introductory offer for my listeners, when you buy your new MyPillow 2.0, you get a second one free just by using promo code DWS. Mike also created the best bed sheets ever. They look great. They feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dreams sheets. Now, Mike is offering the best deal on his Giza Dream sheets. Buy a set of Giza sheets, get one free. The first night you sleep on these sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. Buy a set of Giza sheets 
and get one free just by using promo code DWS. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer. Get huge discounts on blankets, duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS, and you'll get huge discounts on all my pillow bedding, including my pillow 2.0 and Giza Dreams sheets. Buy one, get one free. I'm wearing my new my slippers moccasins. Even as we speak, I had no idea slippers could feel this good right now. Save big on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins. Closeout sale price is just twenty-five dollars by using promo code DWS. Not only that, Mike is having the biggest closeout sale ever on his sandals for just nineteen ninety-eight. What makes my slippers different is Mike's exclusive four-layer design that you're not going to find in any other slippers. My slippers' patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere. Just use promo code DWS. And remember, that doesn't stand for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the old washed-up Democrat politician. No, 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 no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. Okay. Man, do I have a story for you. Let's start off with Thomas Lifeson over at American Thinker back in January 14th. Article entitled, Kathy Chung, former Vice President Biden's executive assistant, when he left office, has a very curious past with Hunter, and now is being questioned. And here's what he says. Kathy Chung may be a key figure in the mishandling of classified documents for Joe Biden's two terms as vice president. As his executive assistant at the time, she was reportedly involved in packing up the documents he removed from government offices when his term as VP ended. NBC News said Kathy Chung, who was Biden's executive assistant while he was vice president and helped pack up his vice presidential office, January 2017 is among those who have been interviewed, according to the sources who spoke in the condition of anonymity to discuss the ongoing inquiry. Chung currently serves as Deputy Director of Protocol for Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Who is Kathy Chung? Curiously, neither the UK Daily Mail nor Fox News, both of which are experts at digging up photos, either one. Neither one has been able to come up with a picture of Ms. Chung, despite her currently serving in a rather public position for a rather public figure, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. UK Daily Mail describes her this way. Chung is a behind-the-scenes operative who previously worked for Democrat senators and is now Deputy Director of Protocol for Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. She turned up in the news on Hunter Biden's infamous laptop after she CC'd him at his Rosemont Seneca Partners firm on an email containing phone numbers for the Clintons, Senators, and most of the Obama candidate. Part of the email redacted is shown below. Well, it's not shown below. My goodness, what happened? Over to American Thinker. Well, let's click on the link to UK Daily Mail from January 8th. 
2021. Let's see. Oh, yeah, email. Email with um, phone numbers for President Clinton. Well, that, yeah, they, you know, they had to redact the actual phone numbers. President Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Senator Chris Dodd, Senator Harry Reid, Mitch McConnell, Dennis McDonough, Governor Markell, Senator Carver, Senator Durbin, Representative Pelosi, Senator Leahy, Senator Joe Manchin, Senator Coons, Representative Chris Van Hollen, Steny Hoyer, Dutch Ruppensberger, Ruppersberger, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she of the washed-up fame, uh, John Carney, uh, then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch, Secretaries Tom Vilsack, Tom Perez, Anthony Fox, Arnie Duncan, and Gina McCarthy, and former Representative Eric Cantor. Wow. Kathy Chung emailed all of that to Hunter. I wonder if any laws are broken on that. Anyway, Thomas Lifeson over to American Thinker says, why would the vice president's executive assistant be sending this highly sensitive information to Hunter Biden, who was involved in a company in partnership with the communist Chinese? Back in 2020, retired FBI special agent Mark Walk blogged the following. First, he showed a tweet from Molly Hemingway saying British media with many more details about major scandal is being censored by U.S. media because of their firm belief it will hurt their preferred candidate. Quote, strangely, the story got little traction in the U.S. media. Mike Flynn commented on that saying, Molly Hemingway, ask who is Kathy Chung, executive office of the president, and why in 2015 is she giving a treasure trove of intelligence phone numbers to Hunter and redacted? Any foreign power would love to have this information. So Mark Walk on his blog in November 2020 says, the question that Mike Flynn is suggesting we should be acting, we should be asking, pardon me. And he says, it's an interesting question and one that's easily answered. Kathy Chung, also known as Kathy Sang Oak Chung and Kathy S. Garrity was an assistant to then Vice President Joe Biden, that is, in 2015. Yes, it's easy to imagine that a foreign intelligence service would be interested in having all these cell phone numbers, but what use would Hunter Biden have for them? GNEWS, that was, uh, I think, the first website that shared the Hunter Biden laptop by a, a guy in Taiwan. GNEWS thinks it has the answer. And in fact, their answer seems to be what Mike Flynn is hinting at, that Hunter Biden sold the Clinton's phone numbers to the communist Chinese. Oh, wow. That's... uh. <laughs> That's something else, but I, I, I digress. He says, of course, there would be any number of ways to disguise what the payment was actually for. GNEWS doesn't go in for nuance. They say the Communist Chinese Party 
obtained the personal cell phone numbers available only to the Secret Service because the whereabouts of these numbers and their families were being protected by the United States Secret Service. A traitor among them had apparently supplied the list directly or indirectly to Kathy S. Schwang. Now, now we add an A to her last name of Chung, who was hired by Rosemont Seneca, of which Hunter Biden was a co-founder. The CCP would secretly monitor and record the phone conversations of these officials who worked to the government at the highest level in order to find their weakness and their dirty dealings to blackmail them and to own them. So retired FBI Special Agent Mark Walk says, It's an interesting narrative, one that hangs together pretty well, a good working hypothesis. And Tom Lifeson, American thinker, says, If a fall guy is needed, Ms. Chung will be a good person to start considering for the post, but she may have her own trove of compromising information to use as bargaining leverage in dealing with the special counsel staff, with Biden himself, and with the puppet masters who may be behind the leaks that are pressuring Biden just as he was poised to announce a run for election, according to earlier media reports. Along with no picture, we have no information on what lawyers... Kathy Chung may have engaged in this matter. Well, let me see. Just um, just for grins, since uh, she has an alias, Kathy S. Garrity, I wonder if I did an Internet search for that alias, if we could come up with a, uh, a picture, because they couldn't come up with a picture Oh, my goodness, the first thing that comes up, Clinton Foundation Timeline.com. Oh, my goodness. Really? Clinton Foundation Timeline.com. So this is probably the whistleblowers in the Clinton Foundation, Moynihan and Doyle. Let's see. Kathy S. Garrity, June 7, 2015, the Biden laptop contains a list of the cell numbers of high officials in Obama administration and national security nightmare. Okay, so let's right-click on that. And while I'm checking out about us, This has got to be my buddies uh, Moynihan and Doyle who testified back in December 2018 about hundreds of boxes of documents that were taken out of the Clinton Foundation in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas by FBI and IRS Criminal Investigation Division agents. We had been tipped off about that when that happened in Late August, early September, something like that. And they confirmed it when they testified before um, Mark Meadows' committee, uh, December 13th of 2018. ClintonFoundationTimeline.com. You know, if only I knew how to make a, a bookmark, I would bookmark this thing. 
but I don't, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm I'm technologically challenged. Yeah, but it's uh, when you click on the right click on that, it's got um, yeah a screenshot of the email with all these phone numbers redacted. Man. Crazy stuff, isn't it? And I think we do have a picture of Kathy Chung from like um, high school or college age. But that would have been many years ago. Now, speaking of Kathy Chung, we're we're just getting started on Kathy Chung. Let me uh, let me give you some more. Okay. From the American Thinker, April six, two days after President Trump was indicted and showed up at. Uh, New York courtroom. Monica Showalter of an American thinker. Article entitled, Joe Biden did indeed leave classified documents lying around for anyone at the Penn Center Biden, at the Penn Biden Center to read. And it says, while the press is focusing on President Trump, a deserving piece of testimony has been delivered to the House Oversight Committee on just how carefully Joe Biden safeguarded U.S. classified documents in his possession. According to Breitbart, classified documents were transported from then-Vice President Joe Biden's safekeeping to the Penn-Biden Center. Are you ready? Where they were kept in an unlocked closet and remained accessible to employees of the Penn-Biden Center, and potentially other people. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, Republican, Kentucky, revealed that Tuesday after an interview with Biden's former assistant, Kathy Chung. Chung, who current Biden administration officials appeared to blame for the mishandling of Biden's classified documents, told Congressman Comer, that Biden's classified documents remained unsecured at the Penn-Biden Center for years and remained accessible to her until May 2022. Congressman Comer said in a statement, this story does not begin in November 2022 as represented by President Biden's attorney. Then White House counsel Dana Remus gave Kathy Chung the task of retrieving these boxes from the Penn-Biden Center as early as May 2022. Public records reported by the New York Post suggested that Chinese Communist Party-linked individuals or entities donated at least $54 million between 2014 and 2019 to the Penn-Biden Center, where a lot of classified documents went and were not placed under lock and key. But I digress. Obviously, anyone could get his hands on these documents who wanted them. And if Joe Biden was supposedly saving them from among all the classified documents he came into contact with, they might well have been important 
The testimony from Kathy Chung, who was Joe Biden's assistant, hired to the recommendation of Hunter Biden, suggests that the documents pertained to Ukraine, Iran, and the U.K. Why the secrets from these places would have been important to Joe is something of a mystery, but it's pretty obvious he had no business keeping them at a at an entity funded by communist China, and apparently there were quite a lot of them, which have been found not just there but in multiple places. At the House Oversight Committee, Representative James Comer noted that he was particularly concerned about one classified document that Hunter handed over to Burisma, the Ukrainian energy conglomerate. Why would this dirty, corrupt foreign entity be entitled to have such documents when ordinary Americans could be sent to jail just for looking at one? Why have classified information at all when all it's doing is serving as gravy for Joe Biden's personal enrichment? It's astonishing how these documents could have been passed around and no, this doesn't look like the typical pattern seen of ex-presidents having classified documents in their possession for the purpose of writing their memoirs. Someone in the Biden camp wanted those documents to put to work, to make money. It's one after another. It puts the lie to Joe's claim that he had only a few classified documents and they were not on the street. These revelations suggest that, yes, they were indeed left out on the street, and like illegal drugs, they had a street value of millions of dollars. The Biden family fortune suggests just that. Monica Showalter over at AmericanThinker.com, April 6, article entitled, Joe Biden Did Indeed Leave Classified Documents Lying Around for Anyone at the Penn Biden Center to Read. But wait! Wait, wait. We're not through. Let's see how the Epic Times handles the story. Article from Frank Fong entitled Biden's Classified Documents, Former Aides Testimony Undermines White House Narrative, Representative Comer says. The White House's narrative on Joe Biden's handling of classified documents is being undermined by the congressional testimony of Biden's former executive assistant, Kathy Chung, according to House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, released a statement April 4th saying that Chung provided startling information that undermines the Biden White House's narrative on the matter when she appeared before the panel for a transcribed interview. Comer said, Today we learned that when Joe Biden left the vice presidency, Boxes containing classified documents, vice presidential records, and other items were stored in three different locations around the Washington, D.C. area, including an office near the White House, an office in Chinatown, and eventually the Penn Biden Center. Chung, who is now Deputy Director of Protocol for the Pentagon, was one of the staffers who helped pack Biden's materials at the end of his vice presidency, according to media reports. The materials Chung assisted in packing eventually ended up at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, no. I'm sorry. It is a University of Pennsylvania entity, but it's not at the University of Pennsylvania. It's in Washington, D.C. But the guy writing the story doesn't know that. So 
It's an honest mistake, I'm sure. Biden's lawyers found a small number of, by the way, I just got to jump in here. Presidents can declassify anything they want. Vice presidents and senators can't. And all these classified documents Joe Biden took were from when he was either vice president or senator. So he's breaking who knows how many laws. Should already be impeached. But I digress. Biden's lawyers found what they call a small number of records with classified markings in what was described as a locked closet at the Penn-Biden Center, November 2nd, 2022, according to Richard Sauber, special counsel of the president. The records were turned over to the National Archives and Records Administration the next day, so they say. On January 10th, one day after Sauber's disclosure, Biden confirmed that the documents were found in the closet and added that he was surprised to learn the classified documents were found in his former private office. However, James Comer said Chung's testimony disputed the locked closet claim. Representative Comer said, At some point, the boxes containing classified materials were transported by personal vehicles to an office location. The boxes were not in a locked closet at the Penn-Biden Center and remained accessible to Penn-Biden employees as well as potentially others with access to the office space. Biden's term as vice president ended January 20th, 2017. A month later, he became an honorary professor at the University of Pennsylvania and was given the role of leading the school's Penn-Biden Center, which officially opened February 2018. According to the university's website, Biden also had an office on the school's campus, Philadelphia. Biden was placed on unpaid leave in April 2019 when he announced he was running for president. There have been concerns about possible links between the center and the Chinese Communist Party, but a university spokesperson has denied that any Chinese money was funneled to the center. Well, they're just lying. $54 million. $54 million. I mean, that's common knowledge. Comer also disputed the White House's timeline of events surrounding Biden's classified documents. He said, we also learned today that then White House counsel Dana Remus gave Kathy Chung the task of retrieving these boxes from the Penn Biden Center as early as May 22nd, 2022. That's kind of what we also already had in the American Thinker article. He says, in the coming days, the Oversight Committee will follow up with persons of interest in the investigation. Oh, I bet you will. I don't blame you. I'm looking forward to that. By the way, coming up, we have an amazing admission by the National Archives and Records Administration about Biden's papers. And I, like I said, I just, I just don't know if you're hearing about this anywhere else. But I owe it to you. I definitely owe it to you. And that's coming right up. You probably heard by now AT&T lost billions on Wall Street. At their satellite outfit, DirecTV decided to delete Newsmax. Now, if you want to drop AT&T, just like people are dropping Bud Light, or any of the big 
liberal cell phone carriers, I have the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. And Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Hey, I switched and I'm saving money. I'll tell you that right now. Switching's easy. Do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation at PatriotMobile.com. Now, you know, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. If you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals, here are five profound benefits of doing that. Number one. Investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew's been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Mike Flynn, and we are so glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. And to learn more about Andrew and his team, all you have to do is go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. bh-pm.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. No matter what search engine you use, it's the first thing that comes up. Make sure you ask about the General Mike Flynn Silver Coin and let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you and your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com or Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Well,
I need to share with you something from American First Legal, national nonprofit organization that works to promote the rule of law in the United States. Former Trump advisor Stephen Miller is in charge of it. And they came up with breaking news recently. The National Archives and Records Administration admitted to America First Legal that 1,170 pages of Biden's vice presidential records were found at the Penn-Biden Center. They also admit they lack custody of Biden's other misplaced records found in Delaware. So America First Legal says, where are the records? On March 21st, American First Legal filed a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, a FOIA request for the National Archives to obtain all of Joe Biden's misplaced records from his time as vice president during the Obama administration. On March 29th, America First Legal received a response from the National Archives and Records Administration admitting they have 1,170 pages of Biden's vice presidential records that were found at the Penn-Biden Center. But those records are currently with Special Counsel Rob Herr, H-U-R. National Archives Records Administration admits they found nine boxes of materials at Biden's personal attorney's office in Massachusetts. Did you know this? I'll bet the attorney doesn't have a top-secret security clearance to look at classified material. National Archives Records Administration also says they lack custody of the records found at Biden's Delaware home, which brings up the question, where are they? Do Biden's lawyers have them? Does the FBI have them? This is nuts, y'all. This is nuts. It is my duty to share with you news that you're not getting anywhere else. I don't know why. Well, I know why the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about these things. But um, I sure don't know why a lot of conservative media wants to give it short shrift. That's the thing. That's the thing. Now, speaking of the Biden team, The great Nicarama over at redstate.com has an article. Troubling report on Biden team plan to crank up surveillance state because of Pentagon leaks. You knew this was coming, didn't you? He says, as we reported on Thursday, 21-year-old Air National Guardsman with the Massachusetts National Guard, Jack Teixeira, was arrested. Regarding the leaks of Pentagon documents, the arrest of a seemingly low-level guy raised a lot of questions how, how he would have had access to such highly sensitive documents and if there's more to the story than we're being, that we're not being told. The stories seem to keep shifting, but the incompetence is stunning, according to Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for President George W. Bush. But it's right in line with what we've seen for the Biden administration, unfortunately. But while the Biden team is making noises about trying to figure out how this all happened, NBC is also reporting that they're looking into how to ramp up the surveillance-slash-censorship state. You knew this was coming, didn't you? Here's what NBC says. 
The Biden administration is looking at expanding how it monitors social media sites and chat rooms after U.S. intelligence agencies failed to spot classified Pentagon documents circulating online for weeks, according to a senior administration official and a congressional official briefed on the matter. The possible change in the intelligence gathering process is just one potential shift as officials scramble to determine not only how the documents leaked, but also how to prevent another damaging incident. Yeah, we don't even want anybody telling the truth about uh, the idea that we're at war with Russia, a hot war where we're shooting at each other in Ukraine. Golly, no, we got to stop those leaks, don't we? NBC says the intelligence community is now grappling with how it can scrub platforms like Discord in search of relevant material to avoid a similar leak in the future, said the congressional official. Red State says there's also the obligatory nod to January 6th. NBC says, however, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security have come under criticism for how they responded to alarming posts on social media and the run-up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol by former President Trump supporters. Oh, my goodness. Do they never get tired of lying? At long last, sir, have you no decency? But I digress. NBC News continues. The House January 6th committee concluded the FBI and Homeland Security were too cautious about acting on information gleaned from social media out of misplaced concern over potential free speech violations, NBC News previously reported. Come on, man, give me a break. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on, but you might want to, you might, you might just want to go over to NBC, pardon me, might just want to go over to redstate.com. Click on the article from Friday, April 14th, entitled Troubling Report on Biden Team Plan to Crank Up Surveillance State Because of Pentagon Leaks. It is a setup. All right? I mean, it just is. It's a setup. Now... Have you heard there's uh, new developments in the case of Jeffrey Epstein who didn't kill himself? Oh, yeah. There certainly is. New York Magazine, their intelligencer section. Kevin T. Dugan, staff writer at Intelligencer, who covers money and business. What would that have to do with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? He had a lot to do with money and business. Article entitled, Wall Street is finally getting its Jeffrey Epstein reckoning. You might want to sit down for this. You might want to grab a hold of something. He says, there aren't that many ways left to get a fuller understanding of the life of Jeffrey Epstein. The man died in 2019. His enabler, Ghislaine Maxwell, I bet she wasn't the only one. But I digress. His enabler, Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted for facilitating his sex trafficking enterprise and is serving 20 years in prison. Prince Andrew privately settled abuse claims made against him by Virginia Jeffrey. Even the fund created to compensate Epstein's victims puts strings on the money, reportedly curbing their ability to sue some of his associates, including Ghislaine Maxwell. 
Any remaining discoveries or revelations may come simply from continuing to follow the money and scrutinizing the fake hedge fund managers' financial dealings with the mega banks and financial titans that allegedly ignored or even participated in his criminal operation. Yeah, they just said that. They just went there. You, I know. You want me to run that one by you again. All right, here we go. Any remaining discoveries or revelations may come simply from continuing to follow the money and scrutinizing the fake hedge fund managers' financial dealings with the mega banks and financial titans that allegedly ignored or even participated in his criminal operation on Monday. And that Monday would have been last Monday, April 10th, 2023. On Monday, a ruling in Manhattan federal court handed one of those Wall Street titans, former banking executive Jess Staley, a legal victory by giving him more time for discovery and his defense against claims that he personally facilitated Epstein's sex trafficking operations, though he lost a bid for a separate trial late Wednesday. That would have been April 12th. A related suit revealed that the bank knew Epstein was paying for underage girls as far back as 2006, and top executives had held at least four meetings about him years later. The next few months are likely to reveal in granular detail the ways Epstein tapped the financial system and key players within it to help him to help build his criminal enterprise. Okay, now, they said the bank. The bank, but they, they don't say what bank Jess Staley is with. So, let me, uh, let me take a look. You think a guy... This powerful would be in LinkedIn. Think that's possible? Let me look. Jess Staley, are you in LinkedIn? I'm going to find out. Oh, no, he's not on LinkedIn. But that's okay. Let me just do a little uh, internet search here for Jess Staley. Because I want to know what bank he's with. Don't just tell me the bank and not tell me what bank. I mean, I knew J.P. Morgan was getting sued. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, we got more breaking news from Reuters. March 9th, 2023, J.P. Morgan sues former banker Staley over Jeffrey Epstein ties. So J.P. Morgan is getting sued and they're suing? J.P. Morgan Chasing Company has sued Jess Staley, its former private banking head, and later Barclay PLC's chief executive, accusing him of entangling it with sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and saying Staley himself has had been accused of sexual assault. Hello. Oh my. The largest US bank filed two complaints 
On Wednesday night, this would have been early March, the Manhattan Federal Court, where it's also defending against lawsuits by the U.S. Virgin Islands and an unnamed woman, Jane Doe 1, who say J.P. Morgan aided in Epstein's sex trafficking by keeping him as a client. J.P. Morgan said Staley should cover some, some or all damages if it were found liable and pay punitive damages for his intentional and outrageous conduct and concealing information about Epstein and putting his own and Epstein's interests above the banks. The Wall Street Bank also wants Staley to repay all compensation from 2006 to 2013. Oh, my goodness. Based on industry standards, that amount could total tens of millions of dollars. Staley is not a defendant in the Doe or U.S. Virgin Islands lawsuits, interestingly enough. Okay. A lawyer for Staley did not immediately respond to a request for comment after business hours. Other media said a lawyer for Staley declined to comment. Staley has acknowledged having been friendly with Epstein but expressed regret for their relationship and, and of course, denied knowing about the financier's alleged crimes, even though I guess they were friends after he went to jail, right, and got out, right? I didn't know. Prince Andrew, I didn't know. Don't look at me, right? Bill Clinton, I, I didn't know. I mean, Glenn Maxwell was there in the front row of my daughter's wedding, but we, we had no idea. Yeah, there's pictures of me getting the back rub from one of the girls, but I, I didn't know anything. J.P. Morgan's lawsuits attempt to shift blame to Staley, once considered a possible successor to CEO Jamie Dimon for allegedly helping shepherd the bank's relationship with Epstein, a client from 2000 to 2013, and damage its reputation. The complaints reference various claims in the earlier lawsuits that J.P. Morgan has sought to dismiss. These included Staley's having allegedly personally observed Jane Doe 1 as a sex trafficking and abuse victim and content from an estimated 1,200 emails that Staley and Epstein exchanged between 2008 and 2012, including some about young women that contained sexual content. J.P. Morgan also referred to Doe's accusation that one of Epstein's friends used aggressive force in his sexual assault of her and informed Jane Doe 1 that he had Epstein's permission to do what he wanted to her. The bank said in his complaints, upon information and belief, Staley is this person who she described as a powerful financial executive she had historically been afraid to identify. Lawyers for Jane Doe 1 did not immediately respond to Request for comment after business hours. Epstein killed himself. No, he didn't. In a Manhattan jail cell, August 2019, while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges, Staley resigned as Barclays CEO November 2021 amid a dispute with British financial regulators examining his ties to Epstein. Epstein's victims also suing Deutsche Bank where Epstein was a client from 2013 to 2018, Deutsche Bank is uh, seeking a dismissal. I mean, now don't let me forget that there's another thing we've got to say about Jamie Dimon over at J.P. Morgan. Unrelated to all this, apparently. So, back over at New York Magazine, Intelligencer, says, right now, there are at least three related cases making their way through the Manhattan federal courts, and I hope we don't 
repeat too much of the information I just gave from Reuters that probe how Wall Street may have supported and enabled Epstein. At the center of all of these is Staley, former protege of J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, probably the most powerful person in finance. Staley spent more than 30 years at J.P. Morgan, rose to be the CEO of its massive asset management and investment banking divisions, and went on to helm Barclays, one of the U.K.'s most important banks. Two of the suits are purported class action suits brought by David Boys. Boy, he's a, that's a high-profile lawyer right there. He was Al Gore's lawyer when Al Gore tried to steal the election in 2000. Two of the suits are purported class action suits brought by David Boys and Sigrid McCauley, the lawyers for Virginia Jeffrey, on behalf of anonymous victims, one against J.P. Morgan, the other against Deutsche Bank, apparently one of the only banks that would take him after Staley briefly helmed a hedge fund. These suits argue that the banks made it possible for Epstein to run his sex trafficking operation and turn a blind eye to suspicious activity because they were benefiting from his money and network. The other suit, accusing J.P. Morgan and Staley of criminal trafficking and fraud, is brought by the U.S. Virgin Islands, where Epstein had his so-called pedophile island. It's a strange case since the prosecutor was dismissed from her job just a few days after she filed it. Yes, she was. And that was when Joe Biden had gone down there, just so you know but they're not going to mention that. But Virgin Islands prosecutors who have subpoena power have uncovered bleak revelations about the lengths to which Staley and the bank had supported Jeffrey Epstein. Staley called his friendship with Epstein profound, having visited him personally in Florida, at the private island, and in prison. Among the 1,200 emails they exchanged are ones that discuss women codenamed for Disney princesses. Snow White and Beauty and the Beast are discussed. In, other, in another, Staley replied, yep, to a question from Epstein about whether he would need anything during a visit. After that, Epstein wired $3,000 to a woman with an Eastern European name. According to the Virgin Islands suit, Epstein had trafficked many women from Eastern Europe after 2008. Internal red flags raised by the bank's security team appear to have gone unheeded. J.P. Morgan has denied any wrongdoing and claims the law doesn't require it to protect a victim from a client. Staley, too, has denied any wrongdoing. You know, it's around this point that you start to wonder why this all wasn't settled quietly before it made it to court. J.P. Morgan isn't new here, and like any bank, it gets accused of wrongdoing all the time, frivolously or not. But most lawyers try to keep such revelations out of the public record And these kinds of plaintiffs have been open to settlement in the past. If the compensation fund and Prince Andrew deals are any guide, the answer as to why we're here remains a bit murky. But in March, J.P. Morgan all but guaranteed it would stay in the courts longer by filing its own complaint, which tries to shift the blame solely on Staley. That's what Reuters said in the other article we referenced few moments ago. The real problem, the bank says, is that Staley didn't follow a code of conduct that he signed. In their filing, J.P. Morgan claims Staley repeatedly abandoned the interests 
of JPMC in pursuit of his own personal interests and benefits and those of Epstein. So now it's up to Judge Jed Rakoff to decide if that's credible. After all, Staley was a man who rose to prominence in part because of his ability to make extraordinary amounts of money for the company, who for a time was part of Jamie Dimon's inner circle and who helped steer the bank as a member of his operating committee. And to be clear, the legal theory against the bank essentially boils down to whether it had enough information about Staley's relationship with Epstein to do anything about it. Staley's successor, Mary Erdos, said in a deposition that the bank was aware by 2006 that Epstein was accused of paying cash to have underage girls and young women brought to his home, according to an updated complaint from the Virgin Islands prosecutors. Other emails appear to show speculation that Jamie Dimon personally would have reviewed a $120 million account controlled by Epstein that flowed out of the bank in 2008, though Wexler said there is no record of, nor does he recall, such a review. In 2010, the bank's compliance officers had noted that Epstein, quote, is also an alleged personal associate of the CEO of the investment bank, Jess Staley, unquote, and wondered, quote, whether Epstein, if further exposed, could have a potential serious impact, unquote. Yeah, 08, wasn't that when uh, when he was indicted? Another email called him a sugar daddy, and there may very well be more coming out since Jamie Dimon's deposition is scheduled for May 15th, according to a person directly familiar with the case. J.P. Morgan's strategy here is to amplify the women's claims, which, to be fair, is better than Prince Andrew's strategy, which was to attack Virginia Jeffrey's credibility. Trish Wexler, a spokeswoman for the bank, told New York Magazine, bottom line, both plaintiffs have accused Staley of misconduct. Indeed, the anonymous accuser herself has directly accused him of horrific sexual misconduct, which, if true, he must be held accountable for. We brought him into this because he is inextricably linked to these cases. By that, she referred to the bank's motion to bring in Staley as a defendant, thereby laying the blame entirely on him. Boy, I mean, the case must be pretty strong if they're cutting him loose and suing him themselves, you know? New York Magazine says, but take a look at this from the other side. Since the bank is trying to pin Staley as the sole perpetrator, it's in his interest to spread the blame around. Didn't he have executive assistants who managed his calendars? Didn't he have deputies who discussed major accounts at regular meetings? Didn't he have revenue targets to meet? All these details may not exactly exonerate Staley, but they could add to the appearance that he wasn't the sole rogue banker that Wall Street is now trying to make him out to be. More than three years after Epstein's death, the extensive record of trials, lawsuits, and investigations makes it clear that the pedophile never did anything without someone else's patronage. If Staley was Epstein's main supporter for years, Wall Street has to reckon that it was responsible for backing him too. Update. This story was updated to include an on-record statement from a J.P. Morgan spokesperson saying that there is no record of Jamie Dimon reviewing any account from Jeffrey Epstein, nor does the CEO recall any such review. Oh. My. 
goodness. So, I bet you didn't think you were getting a Jeffrey Epstein update today, did you? But there it is. Now, before I go on to the other stories, I got to tell you about Jamie Dimon, the guy over at uh, guy over at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Because this guy's dangerous, in my humble opinion. He's nuts, man. So, Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase has urged lawmakers to take bold steps, including the possible use of eminent domain to facilitate the transition to renewable energy, emphasizing the need for urgent global investment in clean energy. You got that? So, you know what eminent domain is? where the government takes your property away from you because they want to widen a highway or put a new one through or something like that. Rebel News has it, but a lot of other places have it too. Ian Miles Chong over there. Headline, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO advocates for seizing private property to build wind and solar farms. Subtitle, He cited eminent domain, the government's power to expropriate private lands for public use as a potential means to speed up the development of green energy sources. So it looks like they're already doing it in uh, Tennessee. Slaynews.com, Frank Bergman has it. Officials moved to seize land from American farmers to advance green agenda. Tennessee government officials have moved to seize land from American farmers in an effort to meet the goals of Democrat President Joe Biden's green agenda. I don't call him that, but they're calling him that. The state is suing to confiscate farmland just east of Memphis that will be repurposed to build a new multi-billion dollar electric vehicle plant. Ford Motor Company has announced plans to build a $5.6 billion electric truck, electric truck and battery plant to be built in this rural area of Tennessee. Officials in Tennessee are so eager to bend over backward to comply with the green agenda that the state is prepared to seize land from black farmers in order to facilitate Ford's electric vehicle process. Here's a bit of the legislative contortions that led to the decision to build Blue Oval City in the volunteer state, as reported by Reason Magazine. In return for picking Tennessee, state lawmakers overwhelmingly approved legislation that would grant Ford $884 million in state incentives. That includes a $500 million grant from the state's current budget surplus and $384 million for site preparation, including $200 million for road improvements and $138.2 million for infrastructure and demolition services. The bill also apportioned $745,000 to fund the Megasite Authority of West Tennessee, an 11-person board, with the power to execute contracts on behalf of the development. He can also take privately owned land via eminent domain in order to facilitate construction of the facility and supporting infrastructure. Throwing more money down the hole, good money after bad, and taking people's farmland away from them. Did you know about that? That's what's up.
That's what's going on. And Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, is saying we need to do more of that. Daily Wire reported in a call for drastic action to support the renewable energy transition, the J.P. Morgan Chase CEO suggested lawmakers consider seizing private property to make more land available for solar and wind farms. Yeah, we need to kill more birds, right? That's what the wind farms do. They kill birds. This guy. See, the problem is people listen to him because he's the CEO of the biggest bank in America. This guy. But again, it is my duty to share these things with you. I don't. Maybe somebody else is, but I don't know who that would be. I haven't run into him. Let's just put it that way. But it's my duty to share these things with you. Okay, Bonchi over at Red States on Friday, April 13th, said Biden lied to your face, and now we'll all pay the price. He says, I'm sorry to have to be the one to deliver this news. And this may shock you, but Joe Biden lied. Worse, because of his lie, we're all now going to pay a big price. As you may recall, he insisted for the entirety of his tenure that no one making under $400,000 a year would see their tax burden increase. Yet that's exactly what is now happening, according to CBS Evening News. CBS News has confirmed the existence of a new IRS rule requiring any money received on payment apps like the Cash App, totaling more than $600 a year to be considered 1099 income. Yes, Biden is going to tax that reimbursement your mom sent you on Venmo for dinner. As noted in the CBS News report, the previous threshold was 20000 made over at least 200 transactions. That protected hobby sellers that used PayPal and the like. It also meant you didn't have to worry about your friends and family sending you reimbursements via Cash App. Now, if you receive more than $600 over the course of the year, you'll be made to report to it you'll be made to report it as income, and that means it's taxable. Compare that to Joe Biden's past promises and those of his compliant media allies that insisted this wasn't going to happen. April 2nd this year, Biden on Twitter says no one making less than $400,000 will see their federal taxes raised as long as I'm president. What a liar. But but he promised he gave his word as a Biden. When you give your word as a Biden, you're not supposed to go back on it, are you? Come on, man. Nick Aramo, Red State, says John Kirby... Confirmed special forces in Ukraine after Pentagon document leaks raise big questions. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Of course, he says they're not actually in combat. But then he also said, John Kirby also said that... um, our withdrawal from Afghanistan was not chaotic. So, 
This guy lies for a living. So he fits right in with the Biden regime. Very comfortable there. Michael Schellenberger over at Substack. These are all stories that nobody's sharing with you. Michael Schellenberger with Substack. Article entitled, Exposed America's Secret Censorship Industrial Complex. He said, friends, over the last three months, a small group of independent journalists, including Leighton and me, have, thanks to the Twitter files, exposed the ways in which social media platforms have, under pressure from U.S. government agencies, censored ordinary Americans and spread spread disinformation. Now, he wrote this about a month ago when he and Matt Taibbi were going to testify before Congress and reveal the existence of a secret censorship industrial complex in the United States. He says, our findings are shocking. A highly organized network of U.S. government agencies and government contractors have been creating blacklists and pressuring social media companies to censor Americans, often without them knowing it. We and others have all already reported on some of the actions of this complex, including its disinformation campaigns. But the extent of its censorship was unknown to us until very recently. And as importantly, we now understand the ways in which this complex simultaneously spreads disinformation and demands censorship. What my 68-page testimony to Congress shows in an effort to U.S. government intelligence and security agencies to wage information warfare against the American people. I do not doubt that some people will try to justify the behaviors we have documented. They'll say such censorship is necessary for fighting disinformation. But there's no moral, legal justification for the acts of state-sponsored censorship we document, much less for the fundamentally un-American censorship industrial complex. I believe that any reasonable person Reading our report, no matter their politics, will be horrified by what is taking place and demand an end to it. With our testimony, we're calling on Congress to defund and dismantle the censorship industrial complex immediately. Democracy depends on freedom of speech. Both are under attack. It's Michael Schellenberg, one of the guys uh, reporting the Twitter files. And, you know, I know. You're probably a normal person. You're not on Twitter. But it's Facebook. It's Google. It's everything. You uh, you ignore it at your peril. Let me just put it that way. You ignore it at your peril. All right, so have you heard about a guy named Mike McCormick? Mike McCormick, former Obama staffer, blows a whistle on Biden kickback scheme with bombshell interviews. Have you heard about this guy? Yeah, he's he's saying that uh, that Biden belongs in jail. Call him a traitor. Let's see if I got the uh, see if I got the audio when he was on with Jesse Waters. 
our uh, power went out Saturday evening because had a bad storm, and so that reset the computer, and um, that's you know if you got a whole bunch of sound bites, audio files uh, lined up and your computer closes because your power goes out, then, you know, it, it can make your life complicated. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Hat tip to Benny Johnson for recording this off the, the Jesse Waters show on Fox News the other night. Mike McCormick, former White House stenographer. It goes something like this. I went to the FBI and filled out their witness tip line. There's a website. You fill out all these tips, uh, these web, web directions. I submitted it. If you lie to the FBI when you're submitting a tip like that, you can go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Joe Biden is lying. Joe Biden is a criminal. That's the bottom line. I don't care if he goes to Timbuktu or Ireland or anywhere. He's a criminal. And I've got the evidence. If they put me in front of the grand jury that's right now seated in Wilmington with Special Prosecutor David Weiss, my testimony becomes the evidence that will put him in jail or will uh, lead to his impeachment, probably lead to his impeachment first. So you're saying that Joe Biden wasn't going to Ukraine to fight corruption. Joe Biden was going to Ukraine to help the natural gas industry. At the time, he knew that his son was on the board of the biggest natural gas business conglomerate in Ukraine. That's exactly right. You know, Hunter Biden signed up for this uh, trip. He signed up to be on Burisma on uh, April 18th, 2014. Well, on April 16th, 2014, what I've seen in the laptop was Hunter put a schedule, uh, something on his daily schedule. I'm meeting Devin and Lucas. Lucas, Devin Archer's son. Devin Archer is a fellow Burisma board member at the WH at 11. That's the White House. Mm. There's photos of, of, of Devin Archer and his son Lucas in the White House. They, the cover story was, oh, it's a book report for our, for my son. He's being nice with Joe Biden. That's not what it was. This was a planning meeting for them to start their uh, kickback scheme with Burisma. And there was a lot more planning that went on ahead of it. Have you heard, uh, if you watch Jesse Waters that evening, then you're aware of that, familiar with that. If not, then maybe you're not. But again, it is, it is my duty to share these things with you. And and we we just we just scratched the surface. So got a lot of stuff from from Red State. The next item on the climate cult's naughty list: a common staple food gives scam away. Again, the great Nicarama says we've seen a lot of craziness over the years from the climate change cult. First, it was global cooling, then global warming. Now, because they don't know what they're talking about and none of their predictions come to pass, it's the more amorphous climate change, although the climate is always changing. 
They're never held accountable for being wrong, and they just move on to the next thing to push us to panic over. It's always about how things are about to implode if we don't commit more of our money to deal with it, give up our freedoms, turn over more control to the government. Let's listen to what Joe Biden said during his vacation in Ireland. This was before he told guests at Dublin Castle that he wanted to lick the world. Huh. I wouldn't put it past him to lick windows, but anyway, there he is. The single existential threat to the world is climate change. We don't have a lot of time, and that's a fact. They're even recognizing, finally, everyone's recognizing America. Okay, AOC. Fairy tale man. But, as Nick Rahm at Red State points out, it's okay for him to fly to Ireland and then jet on to Delaware. The world's been supposedly about to implode for the past 40 years. Somehow we're still here. And no, Joe, not everyone is recognizing accepting the mania. We've seen them demonize fossil fuels. We've seen them go after meat. Even uh, the gas the cows emit, methane. But a French press agency tweets about what the climate cult might be targeting next had people sit up and take notice on Sunday because if anything underscored how anti-human the cult seems, this would be it. Guess what else they're now saying is bad? Rice. You know, that thing that most of the world survives on? Oh, yeah. French press agency says rice is to blame for around 10% of global emissions of methane, a gas that over two decades traps about 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide. Scientists say that if the world wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, rice cannot be ignored. Well, I don't think the world should reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So... We, we click this and something happens? What accounts for 10% of global emissions? Yeah, I don't need that. I don't need that. Scientists say if the world wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, rice cannot be ignored. That means it's the next thing on their list. And that means these people are insane. Leaving aside the questionable scientific conclusions here, what are they saying here about the growth of rice? Do they truly think they're going to eliminate or reduce rice when so much of the world relies on it? Eliminating or reducing rice would decimate people, particularly poor people. We should stop feeding them to supposedly help the environment? Boy, that's a heck of a message. Talk about hating people and wanting to throw the world into chaos. Eliminating rice would do that. They don't want us to use energy. They don't want us to eat meat. And now they don't want us to eat rice. Why don't they just come out and say it? We, we, you and me, we are the carbon units that they have a problem with and seem to want to eliminate. Is the purpose to protect life on earth or to control life on earth? It sure looks like the latter. How about we ignore such idiocy? 
in the video I started playing that I just couldn't stomach, China and India are not signing aboard any such thing because they don't want to have their people ripped into pieces. It's not going to happen. Again, you and I are the carbon they want to reduce. That's what's up. That's what's going on. By the way, did anyone tell you about the UK Telegraph story? No evidence face masks protected vulnerable from COVID, health officials admit. Subtitle, critics say authorities are failing to prepare for any future pandemics by not examining the effectiveness of masks. Health officials have admitted there is not enough evidence to suggest medical-grade face masks protect vulnerable people from COVID. A rapid review report published by the UK Health Security Agency investigated if high-quality masks such as the N95, KN95, and FFP2 coverings protect clinically vulnerable people in the community from catching COVID. However, the report was unable to find a single piece of scientific research which had usable data. The authors state the review did not identify any studies for inclusion and so could provide no evidence to answer the research question. No studies matching the inclusion criteria were found, so no evidence could be presented. They lied to you. Ball face straight up lied to you, didn't they? What are you going to do about it? I mean, what can we do about it? I don't know. Alex Berenson was one of the first people who uh, warned about the vaccines. He was on Tucker Carlson's show back in 2020. He's got a new article out on his Substack. He says, uh, when Twitter banned me in August 2021, for writing that the COVID vaccines don't stop infection or transmission. He said, I was sure the federal government had played a role in my censorship, but I had no idea how far it had gone or that a board member of Pfizer, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, had also been involved. I just knew I had to stand up for my constitutional right to free speech. He says, in December 2021, I sued Twitter and federal court in San Francisco. The woke media and leftist lawyers on Twitter mocked the suit. One said it was a product of a, ba- a band of incompetent knockoff Muppet lawyers. He says, they were wrong. On April 29, 2022, Judge William Alsop ruled Berenson versus Twitter could move ahead. His ruling forced Twitter to settle with me and reverse my ban. Even more important, it gave me access to crucial evidence that showed how the White House and Dr. Gottlieb had pressed Twitter to censor me during the spring and summer of 2021 and how Twitter, after initially defending me, ultimately capitulated. Uh, More evidence, he said. More evidence followed from the Twitter files and a separate lawsuit filed by the state of Missouri over social media censorship, now it's time for the second act in my campaign to hold the White House and Pfizer responsible for their censorship. He says, today I filed suit in federal court in New York City against Biden, Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla, and the other people who believe that the mRNA jabs were more important than the First Amendment. The fact that the vaccines have now provably failed is almost, but not quite, 
irrelevant to the lawsuit. Even if they are perfect, our Constitution would protect my right to criticize them. The lawsuit runs 70 pages in the details of pattern of conduct by the conspirators that stretched for months. Its lead lawyer is James Lawrence, who represented Berenson versus Twitter so ably. Berenson versus Biden may provide a unique opportunity to hold Pfizer accountable for the failure of the mRNAs because Pfizer is legally immune from lawsuits directly related to mRNA side effects. This lawsuit may be the only chance we have to learn what the company knew about the way its vaccines were failing in summer 2021, what it told the government about the failure and if it and the government worked together to encourage boosters and mandates. He says, I'm actually more confident in Berenson versus Biden than I was before Berenson versus Twitter. Social media companies had essentially a perfect record in defeating lawsuits over bans before my Twitter case. So last year we had to prove that Twitter had given me explicit promises that it modified its contract with me in order to defeat its motion to dismiss. In this case, though, the Second Circuit, where I'm filing, has offered us a crucial precedent. In Knight Institute versus Trump, the Second Circuit ruled that President Trump could not block users from his Twitter account. Remember that one? I do. Why? The court found, and an appellate court agreed, that even though Twitter is a private company, when federal officials use their Twitter accounts to make official statements, they convert those accounts into public forums and cannot ban people from commenting on them. Think about it this way. Imagine that the White House had a press conference at a hotel and tried to get the hotel to ban me from coming in to ask questions because they didn't like what I was asking. Everyone would agree that the government had violated the First Amendment even though it didn't own the hotel. That's exactly how the White House behaved toward me in 2021. In trying to force Twitter to ban me, Andrew Slavitt and Biden acted to prevent me from commenting on Twitter on their accounts and statements as I regularly had. Further, I now believe that even a federal judge appointed by a Democrat may give us a fair shake. After all, Judge Alsop was appointed by President Clinton, but he saw the strength of Berenson versus Twitter. He says, the suit will not be easy. Twitter was a tough opponent. But it's a mosquito compared to the federal government or Pfizer. We're now suing the president and the head of one of the world's biggest and most powerful companies. They will have unlimited resources. Merely surviving the motion to dismiss will require an epic legal battle. Your generosity in Berenson versus Twitter played a crucial role in forcing Twitter to settle. Even after Judge Alsop's ruling, the little bird was initially intransigent. But that changed as my war chest grew. Twitter knew that its lawyers could not outweigh me and force me to a weak agreement. Thanks to you, James Lawrence and I got the discovery we needed to fuel the even more important process that starts today, the process of holding the White House and Pfizer accountable. If you want to be a part of the fight, here's how. And he links to his GoFundMe and his gifts and go. That is, again, Alex Berenson, B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N, over at Substack. That's extremely important because they need to be held accountable. Oh, my goodness, do they need to be held accountable. The great Robert Spencer over at PJ Media 
had an article out the other day entitled, A Trans Person Just Murdered Christians. How do trans people become the victims? He says, from the looks of the media coverage and some of the reactions on Twitter, you would think a Christian had just murdered six transgender people instead of the other way around. As Matt Margolis noted over PJ Media, NBC News portrayed the transgender community as the real victim of the shooting. NBC was by no means alone. There's been so much worry and solicitude for men who think they're women and women who think they're men in the wake of the shooting at the Covenant School near Nashville that many people likely don't realize that a woman pretending to be a man was the shooter, not the victim. The idea that the perpetrator is really the victim when he or she belongs to a protected victim class is a tried and tested strategy of the left honed for years in the wake of Islamic Jihad terror attacks. Pediatrician and gay activist Dr. Scott Hadland tweeted the day after the shooting, Bracing for today's anti-trans backlash. Even though men and assault-style weapons underlie most mass shootings. One Twitter user responded, I'm seeing an increase in trans and trans supporters saying that they are wanting to arm themselves for protection. A leftist in Australia tweeted, First they came for the trans, and I wouldn't shut up about it because all members of our community need love and protection from the haters, indeed, from those that would deny their very existence. Hey, that's terrific, tough guy, except for the fact that no one actually came for the trans. What happened was a trans person, a woman who thought she was a man, came for the Christians. Are Christians members of your community that need protection? No? The large-scale strategy of shifting victimhood status from the actual victims who are part of a group that the left hates to the group to which the perpetrator belonged, which is the one that the left loves, was honed in the left's battles against so-called Islamophobia. In January 2022, an Islamic jihadi named Malik Akram stormed the Congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in Colleyville, Texas, and took four hostages demanding the release of convicted jihad terrorist Afia Siddiqui. In the wake of the attack, far-left so-called journalist Wajahat Ali tweeted, You're about to hear some ugly and vicious Islamophobia and anti-Muslim bigotry this weekend from elected officials, commentators, and even mainstream media. Hope I'm wrong! People will use it to divide Jewish and Muslim communities for their political agenda. Don't fall for it. Now, Akram himself did a great deal to divide the Jewish and Muslim communities. But Wajad Ali had nothing to say about that. In November 2021, in Britain, an Islamic jihadi named Imad al-Swilmain blew himself up outside a hospital in Liverpool. Shortly afterward, the BBC reported that, quote, Muslim people are already suffering racial hatred after Sunday's terrorist incident at Liverpool Women's Hospital, unquote. Unfortunately, the BBC did not reveal what race Muslim people all share. Do you realize, you realize that? That Islam is not a race? Yeah. It's not a race. Oh, well. The great Robert Spencer, purveyor of Jihad Watch, had that one over at, uh, at PJ Media. 
And I shared it with you because if you're a normal person, you don't pay attention to a lot of transgender news. But trust me, the left is out there claiming the transgenders were the victims. Daily Caller has a um, related story. Parents say they weren't notified after a trans teacher allegedly threatened to shoot up school. Sarah Weaver, a Daily Caller. A Florida middle school failed to notify parents after a transgender teacher allegedly threatened to kill himself and other students. Multiple parents and advocates tell the Daily Caller. On March 24, 2023, an officer temporarily assigned to Fox Chapel Middle School in Hernando County, Florida, as school resource officer, responded to a report from Assistant Principal Carrie Thornton and Guidance Counselor Kimberly Walby. Thornton and Walby said a teacher had made statements about harming himself and possibly shooting students, according to an incident report obtained by Moms for Liberties, Hernando County Chapter. The report notes that the teacher, who goes by the name of Ashley, was in the process from transitioning to, from male to female. The teacher who was born, Alexander Renschkowski, admitted to having bad thoughts but denied threatening to shoot students and said, quote, she did not want to harm herself, unquote, according to the report. Well, uh, he's not a she, though. According to the report, I'm, you know what? I'll do that the rest of my life. I don't care what anybody says. A man can't become a woman, and a woman can't become a man. It's Bruce Jenner, and he's a guy. He's got male DNA in every cell of his body. That's why I can never work at Fox. Anyway. Huh? Oh, yeah. Maybe Tucker doesn't have to have him on his show. Anyway, according to the report, the Hernando County School District's mental health coordinator, Sandra Hurst, then conducted a threat assessment on Rinchkowski, determining he did not meet the criteria of the Baker Act, a Florida law that allows for involuntary institutionalization of mentally ill individuals. Well, he's trying to make the uh, transition from male to female. Obviously, he's mentally ill. A deputy later collected three firearms and ammunition from Rinchkowski's home, according to the report. Public relations manager for Hernando County Sheriff's Office told the Daily Caller in a statement, the investigation revealed that no criminal offenses occurred, therefore no arrests could be made. Further, deputies found that the individual did not at that moment meet the required criteria for involuntary commitment under the Baker Act. That's messed up. They, 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 they continue, in an abundance of caution, the Hernando County Sheriff's Office petitioned the court for a temporary risk protection order. The order was granted immediately. The individual cooperated with law enforcement and immediately turned over all firearms. Oh, red flag law. Oh, okay. The risk protection order will expire in a year, according to the Sheriff's Office. Well, what good is it then? The Sheriff's Office also confirmed the Daily Caller they employ a deputy, Michael Renskowski, who parents say is the teacher's brother. Oh. Rinchkowski did not respond to a request for comment from Daily Caller. The teacher was reportedly back in the classroom the next day, and it wouldn't be until more than a week later parents would be even notified of the incident. Most found out from a local news story by journalist Tom Lemons, who cited anonymous sources. According to Lemons, the incident took place three days before the Nashville shooting, and the teacher was sent home for the day. Parents told Daily Caller that on Thursday, April 13th, the teacher was not in the classroom, but the school had not told them why he was absent. Jim Looker, 
parent of a 12-year-old student at the school, told Daily Caller it took roughly two and a half weeks for them to even say anything to the parents and send some kind of, excuse my language, BS recording. And it's because of a local reporter here, Tom Lemons, he broke the article. Another parent, Shenna Barrios, said, I got a pre-recorded call from the school basically confirming there were some statements made, but they were investigated, and it was determined that the teacher was not a threat. Rinchkowski was employed at Hernando County Schools in 2019 at a salary of $45,519, according to government salaries, 5% higher than median salary in the district, 11% higher than the district average. Jacqueline Giosha, a parent whose eighth-grade child was one of Rinchkowski's students, told Daily Caller, The school didn't say anything. I found out this Easter weekend when I read the article that came out. She said she confronted school principal Carmine Rufa about the incident when parents finally received a call from the school about the threat 17 days after the incident occurred. She said, so Rufa wasn't happy with me, and I said, look, I'm trying to keep my composure because I spent my bail money for this month. I told him, I'm not happy. I'm not a happy parent. My daughter's in her class. So that makes it more personal for me. Well, you shouldn't call him her. But anyway, Dana Johnson, who has two daughters who attend the school, told Daily Caller she received more communication from the school when she kept her daughter's home on Wednesday due to the teacher's threats than she did about the incident itself. Johnson said, you can try to talk to me and tell me I can get in trouble for not sending my kid when they're sick and forgetting to send the note in then why are we not notified as parents when there's a teacher that has made a statement of this degree? Parents told Daily Caller they receive alerts if so much as a fire alarm is pulled at the school or if somebody has a weapon in a nearby park. Another parent who requested anonymity told the Daily Caller, I put some of this together on my own, so on March 24th, my daughter texted me, we're in a lockdown, nobody will shut up. When she contacted the sheriff's department, Monday morning after Easter weekend, the parent said she was told there was no police involvement in the investigation. Police told her there's no law enforcement involvement or investigation with regard to the teacher mentioned. If there had been threats made against children or threats to self-inflict harm, there would have been a thorough investigation. The school board is evaluating the teacher, but no allegations have been reported for legal investigation. She said she was told to contact the Hernando County School District with further questions, but the school board meeting rendered no more answers for concerned parents of middle school students. The parents said, so I go into the school board meeting, and was that a crap show? Johnson told the Daily Caller, we received absolutely no answers to the questions of why weren't we notified. Barrio said she was stonewalled when she called the school after learning of the threats. She said she told the school official, so I just want to know my children attend school there. I want to know exactly what was said. He informed me that they're not making statements at this time. So I said, okay, when will you be making statements? Because I would like to know. He just disconnected the call with me. He hung up on me, she said. Police finally acknowledged the incident in a press release issued Wednesday, the morning after the school board meeting. The release said on March 24th, Hernando County Sheriff's Office was notified of and did investigate an event at Fox Chapel Middle School. The investigation revealed that no criminal offense occurred, therefore no arrest could be made. Former school board candidate Monty Floyd, who obtained the incident report from police Wednesday morning, said this is a major safety problem and the district is still trying to downplay it and cover it up. Sheriff's Office told Daily Caller, just like school discipline of a, school, like school discipline of a student, 
Once law enforcement has completed the investigation regarding possible criminal activity, evaluated the individual for Baker Act criteria, and determined whether an RPO is appropriate, our involvement is complete. Employment and or disciplinary decisions rest solely with Hernando County School District. Rinchkowski's partner, Fawn Rinchkowski, is named as a relation in the police incident report and is also a teacher at the school. According to a now-deleted private Instagram page and multiple parent statements, Fawn Rinchkowski identifies as a mermaid. Fawn did not respond to Daily Caller's request for comment. Some parents expressed concern that the transgender identity of the teacher shielded him from disciplinary action. Oh, you know it did. You know it did. Geosha said they're trying to cover up. First of all, this is a transgender teacher but they feel maybe if they fire her or him that she might file a lawsuit against the county for discrimination. Another parent asks, what's to say she's not going to get frustrated again, especially with all this stuff going on right now, as she's taking hormonal drugs to change her gender? Amy Pitsley, a concerned parent of the sixth grader, told the caller, the newest police reports state the teacher just started female hormones. I'm sorry, but no one can predict what's going on in that person's mind with the changes they're going through. Parents stressed, however, that the gender identity of the teacher mattered less than the threats made against their children. Barrio said, I couldn't care less that this woman is trans. At the end of the day, it's not about who you identify. It's not about what you identify as. It's the statements that come out of your mouth. Geosha said, you know, this person, this individual, whether it's male or female, made a threat not only to take his life, but those of his students. That's not acceptable. Not acceptable. Jim Looker, the father of a sixth-grade son who attends the school, says he will not allow his child to go back to the school. Looker told Daily Caller, we have an interview with a private school on Friday. We're thinking if he passes the interview, which he will, we've already started the process. They wanted three letters of recommendation from his prior teachers, and they wanted it in sealed envelopes, and we have all that. So we have everything that the future principal and the future school is going to need, but it's, you know it's expensive. DePrisco said a lot of the parents are looking at other avenues. One parent's going to private school and other one's trying to go to a different county. And homeschooling, everybody wants to do homeschooling at this point. Hernando County School District and Fox Chapel Middle School did not respond to repeated requests for comment from Daily Caller. That's jacked up. That's from Thursday, April 13th. And you know... It's just inexcusable. It's just inexcusable. There's no excuse for it. And it's uh, it's frustrating. And it's maddening. All right, it's that time again. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. Online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental U.S. Now, a guy who goes by Gain of Fauci out there on Twitter has today's tweet of the day, and it is a video of then-Senator Joe Biden 
speaking of campaign appearance when he was running for president, August 12, 2007. Barry 2007 video of Senator Joe Biden discussing troop removal from Afghanistan. It would be a shame if everybody saw this. So check this out. The big difference to tell the American people the truth about what our options are in ending this war. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. There you go. That's what he did. If you take all the equipment out, it'll take a year. If you leave all the equipment behind, it'll be used against your kids and grandkids someday. Maybe take seven months. He pulled everybody out in a matter of just a few weeks because he wanted it done by the September 11th anniversary. Everybody in Congress should vote to impeach this guy. That's all. And you know it. That's my opinion. You're entitled to it. You've been listening to episode 372 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by, by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. Brown, that's the way it is. Monday, April 17th, 2023.